discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I am your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm joined today in Studio One by Gary Conley. Welcome, Gary. Hello, Priscilla. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, Gary is the founder and president of Hosts in Ireland. Uh, and let's just move on and get onto the show and get to know Gary. Uh, can you tell us a little about yourself, about your background, please? Sure. Um, I'm in the I'm a technologist, really. I, I think I'd be classified as a digital optimist. Um, and I, I think that's the best way to overall um, give, a, give a headline of who I am. But um, currently I'm the president and founder of Hosts in Ireland, which is uh, a really great uh, initiative that we started about five years ago. I call it a co-opetition. Um, you know, it started as a bet in a pub, uh, <laughs> as all great ideas do in, in Ireland particularly. And uh, I was I was uh, challenged by a number of my ex-competitors that I couldn't get them all to work together. And I said, I could get you to work together. My challenge will be, will you pay me to get you to work together? <laughs> That's brilliant. So Host in Ireland effectively is a gathering of all of the data hosting um, companies that are international actually but resident in Ireland to work together in a collaborative way um, to, to, to sell a common message um, and I think uh, whether it's uh, localization or whether it's pharmaceuticals or whether it's data when you get conflicting views of any particular subject matter whilst it's great for dialogue it can be very very confusing for the end user mm-hmm. and that's why I think it was great five years ago when we said okay there's, there must be commonality Yes. And can we just agree on the commonality? And if we can get that agreed, then we can at least be clear with the end user. Uh, and then you can fight with each other afterwards when they say, oh, I now understand what you're talking about. Absolutely. So that's what I do currently. But uh, I have uh, uh, some other things that I've done in the past. Yes. Which might be of interest. You've, uh, well, you studied uh, commercial computer programming and civil engineering, I understand. And what, what attracted you to those... F- those fields in the first well, place? I, I guess it's all context to the time and place. When I came out of school and college in 1982, um, you know, globally, um, if you were to say to somebody a personal computer, it would be a bit like saying you will be going to Mars in 2025. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, at that time I took the view, I really wanted to be a physical education teacher. Oh, I really, more than anything else, However, um, I know this is a global audience, but we have Gaelic in Ireland Mm -hmm. and I could speak about four words of Gaelic. (laughs) And unfortunately, it was the prerequisite to be a teacher was that you must speak Gaelic. So once I couldn't speak that, I had to look at, well, what else do I understand? And uh, I sort of understood slightly theodolites. And they're the things that people use to to level off ground for buildings. Okay. So once I understood what that was, I got into it was actually a civil engineering subset um, called geosurveying. So all the work done in preparation of buildings and roads and services. That all makes sense. And uh, that was the journey because we had a Commodore 64 in the corner on our course. Uh, we brought in our tape drives and we put them in and uh, the only thing to be uh, mindful of wasn't hackers or wasn't GDPR in those days. It was whether you walked by a very large magnetic source because if you had a tape and you walked by a magnetic source, no longer was your project. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit like the dog has eaten my homework. <laughs> if, you, if you hadn't got it done, you used to say, I went by a really large magnetic force <laughs> on the back of a truck. And that was actually, I really liked that. And that's why I said, you know, I, I absolutely uh, don't want to be a geosurveyor, um, but I want to be something to do with that Commodore. 
And so I, I went on to do COBOL, uh, commercial computer programming. Um, and that's how I ended up wanting to pursue a career. Um, I was speaking to, to uh, Simon earlier and yourself about when I think back about uh, commercial computer programming, COBOL, RPG and all these things, um, we did most of our work on mainframes and it wasn't until I left that um, I didn't become a COBOL programmer. I worked on personal computers, mm -hmm. which weren't invented when I was in college. <laughs> so all this talk now that we see about 35% of blue collar, white collar jobs are mm -hmm. for industries and jobs that haven't been invented yet. Um, I just think it's an evolution of that. Absolutely, um, yes. So personal computers has me sitting here. Wow, what yeah. a journey. Yeah. And then you worked uh, in sales and telecoms and, uh, and then founded Host in Ireland. So yeah. a long journey and... I was never very good at technology, but I was always very good, I felt, at uh, finding and eking out people who understood it, trying to understand what problem they were trying to solve and then trying to create a platform where the people who knew the stuff and the people that needed solutions could come together. Which is very important. And, and that's sort of, I worked that out um, even with local area networks and stuff. Because um, I think even now... Brilliant people are so brilliant that sometimes they forget that we're not all that brilliant. We don't understand a lot of where they're bringing us. Mm -hmm. So you got to go in little small steps. And when, when you know, that saying to speak to people like you're a four year old, it really helps when you are a four year old in a 50 year old's body. Right. Because you think that way. And I think that was my the bit I got early. I said, OK, well, I'm a really bad programmer. You know, I don't have the discipline. Um, but there are brilliant programmers, but they just can't sit still and listen. Well, what's your problem? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's what I always thought I was good at. So hosting Ireland is a natural evolution of that. Um, plus, bet me a few quid and I'll take a punt on occasion. So. <laughs> Uh, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. And um, speaking of which, um, I'd like to talk about uh, the organization core values. Mm. So I understand that the organization has five core values, the five P, mm. policy, pedigree, people, power and pipes. Mm. Can you explain a little bit on those values like, and about their importance? Okay, well, I, I think the common ground that uh, we in this room and the audience would have is data. And uh, when you consider that we're in now firmly in the fourth industrial revolution, it's called the digital revolution and the the equivalent of the the let's call it the coal or the steam in the first and second mm -hmm. revolution yes. is data. It's the oxygen Absolutely. of the, the fourth industrial revolution. So when, when you consider that there's not a single industry, whether it's from agriculture right the way through to social and it's all driven by data, mm -hmm. then you have to look at, OK, well, if that's going to be the core of what we're doing, we're going to generate it, we're going to distribute it. What's the most important thing then? Knowing that that's going to come and it's going to come in a tsunami is its security. So when we started hosting Ireland, we said, OK, let's take it as a given that we've loads of data and we've loads of different types of data. And um, let's try and simplify our message to people who think they understand data but really it's there, oh, I'm very good at data, but I know spreadsheets, or I'm yes. very good at data and I know databases. Because we're now at a different level of data Absolutely. with all different machines creating. So we came out with the five Ps, which was really about, well, why why would you bring data anywhere? Because it's all about trust. 
And as we evolve now, it's about you owning your data mm-hmm. or not owning your data or understanding who owns your data. Yeah. So we built this framework, I guess, of policies, pedigree, people, power and pipes. And when you blend that up, you know, policies are what's your policy in Ireland, in our case here, towards data? Mm-hmm. Who owns it? Yes. Um, pedigree. Can you demonstrate to me that you understand my question before you give me an answer? And that goes back to, in our case in Ireland, um, you know, foreign direct investment, which is a, a very large part of our infrastructure here. We've been doing that for 60 years. Um, and IBM, in fact, came here in the 50s, um, uh, not too far away from here, actually. We uh, talk about uh, space and accommodation for businesses and people to live at the moment being at a, a, a one of our challenges. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get an office in Dublin in oh, 56, yeah. so they took the top floor in the Shelburne Hotel. So, you know, again, that is ingrained in our pedigree. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we look then at Microsoft 20 years ago next week, Ireland was recognized as the largest exporter of software in the world 20 years ago. Yes. On a floppy disk. So what is it today? (laughs) Ireland now is Europe's largest exporter of software, but the floppy disk has just got really big and it's now in the data center. So when you're trying to talk to people, you try to say, well, what's this data center? Has that been dropped off the sky? No, it's like a billion, trillion, quadrillion floppy disks. It's how we store, how we compute, how we distribute data. And rather than walking around with a whole big box of three and a half or five and a quarter floppies, we put it on our hand in a device with gigabyte. But everywhere, and it's the easiest way to talk about data centers, is anywhere you see smart in front of a word, you have a data center behind because that's driving the oxygen of the Industrial Revolution. Of course. Um, so the five P's, yeah, it's sort of a metric where you say, well, if you can demonstrate all them. Hmm. And that's what I tried to get across, as I said earlier, to the competitors as a competition. Let's agree on those fundamental tenets of our backbone. And then your one is a little greener or bluer. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's agree on those. And that makes it much easier then. Uh, to communicate. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, um, especially that <clears throat> your organization partners with some of the biggest and national and international data centers. Yeah. So the collective really created by Hosting Island mean that, well, what does it mean for other companies that handle digital assets nowadays? It's it's super, it's very important and uh, very beneficial to them, really. Yeah, and I, I also think that uh, um, does not enough collaboration and we're uber connected now but the uber connectedness has actually made us less connected on a human basis it's true i think we're digitally more community connected mm-hmm. uh, i have two daughters 10 years old and 16 and they tell me they talk to me every day and i say how do you mean well i whatsapp you mm-hmm. i sent you an emoji all right so that's what you mean by mm-hmm. talking and that's you know what when i think i was thinking about this before the interview i think we're, we're, we celebrated our fifth uh, anniversary this year and i was asking some of the guys um so why did you stay involved oh, it was just great to be able to have a chat it was great to be able to because professionals we forget this as well when you're a senior person in a very large organization no matter where you are you can suffer from professional loneliness because you're meant to know the answers. You're meant to know the answers to your top tier yes. and you're meant to know the answers for your colleagues. Yes. Or your, or your, so bringing people together and saying, okay, all I ask you to do 
Um, and I think uh, Simon, your colleague, does this very well as well. He asks, OK, when we come into the room, just drop your ego and drop your own balance sheet just for a second. And let's talk about the issues. Now, you can beat each other up outside, but just now. And that creates this, OK, because the more people Relationship, meet, yeah. Relationships, exactly. And the more people talk, oh, you're having that as well. I'm having that too. Because yeah. ultimately Relate. we got to, and I think it's starting with the, the dress code. I always felt I haven't worn a tie, thank goodness, in 25 years. But now most people are derobing because the suit of armour. Yes. People aren't that way at the weekend when they're watching the football. More casual, yeah. They're more But so I think that is helping too. Because um, the technology now we have to know is there. The inhibitors are policies and people. Mm -hmm. Are we comfortable with that? So I think data um, is the the real magic, even though I'm in the data center it industry, which tends to be more the centers, you know, the big buildings that you see, but the real magic is in the data. Um, so hopefully um, people who have better social intercourse skills and communication skills one on one will still be sought after. Otherwise, I'm I'm goosed. <laughs> <laughs> No facing humanity whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you founded and were co-chairman of the GDPR Awareness Coalition in 2017. Mm. Yeah. GDPR is such an important topic uh, mm. nowadays and coming into action of May of 2018. What do you think, how did the transfer of data between Ireland and the rest of the world really was affected in your view since it came into action? That, that's a great question. I, I, can I just go back? Before? Yes. Yeah. The, again, the whole purpose of the GDPR Awareness Coalition was I am... I understand about two words in GDPR, but what I do know and I did realize a year or 18 months before was that it's a very, very technical mm -hmm. and we're finding out now it's even more technical. Um, but the people that are going to be most affected actually aren't the ones of the big corporates that are lawyered up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the shop. It's going to be the not for profit organization. And they they were terror terrified of talking to legal people or they couldn't afford it. Yes. So what we did is we set up this GDPR Awareness Coalition, which was uh, like-minded people. And we set ourselves one objective. Let's get a hundred easy to understand infographics. Your brain only computes six points. And we even looked at, well, what are the colors should it be? And let's see if we took all the people who have all the technical know-how and we were able to write one. If you are a shopkeeper, mm -hmm. six points to know of. If you are in a GAA or soccer club, six okay. points to know of. Um, and it just was to raise awareness that this thing is coming. Just be aware of it. Um, and of course, because I think we simplified it slightly, um, it, it just was a wonderful success. The second point that you make about Ireland, um, data is a really interesting, it's often referred to, as you know, as the new oil. Yeah. Usually by people who are so ignorant to either industry. Um, because there has never been, and there always has been data. It's been the most important thing. But what's the most important thing about data? Being able to understand it. And I always use the guys, the Indians. How did they win battles against the, uh, in North America? Because they could read the smoke signals. It wasn't because they were doing smoke signals. It's because they could interpret it and read it. So, you know, that's why they developed. But that's data, you know, and then you'd Morse code and then uh, uh, other forms. So so in terms of the the, the, the effects of GDPR, the effects of all of it, it's just brought to people's intention and to the most important community, the end user. 
because we don't make it that hard mm -hmm. for people to manipulate our data, to breach our data, to then cause still the number one password for consumers is password. Password, yeah. <laughs> So it makes people much more mindful that we can put firewalls in place and we can put policies in place and we can do all of this. But let's start here uh, with ourselves. So what am I doing to protect my data? And the fact now that you're starting to see some significant fines cross industry. I don't know if you even saw today, but uh, BA, British Airways, mm -hmm. 220 million. Yes. Because they didn't have basics in place to protect the credit cards. And... It's sad that it had to happen, but I'm myself, I'm nearly more glad it's happened to not a tech company because they're coming. Of course, yeah. Because if you, it was always Facebook and it was always Google and it was always Snapchat, then everybody'd say, oh, well, it's them. But this is BA, an airline, you know. And I saw one other was uh, an agricultural company in, in Paris were giving out wrong information about the uh, farmers. So it's not just for the big guys. Yes, it's not for the tech and, companies. Uh, um, uh, to simplify it, I just think that anything you apply retrospectively is a nightmare. Uh, you're way too young to remember, but 1979 in Ireland, we decided in our wisdom that safety belts were compulsory. You had to have a safety belt on the 1st of January. And that's okay if you're buying a new car tomorrow, but what if you've got an old car? We had, a, we had a, an Austin Morris Minor, six kids, <laughs> it wasn't great. So that that's why it's such a challenge because we've got to look retrospectively at all the data. But we, in 20 years, we look back and go, oh, not only have I a safety belt, but I've got side impact bars and I've got exploding steering wheels because we'll evolve into it. Of course, yeah. Um, so so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. But, but with regard to Ireland, I think that uh, as we're finding more and more, particularly with respect to the changes in policies in the UK, that uh, um, our alignment with the European Union uh, has and always to this date has always been very positive for somebody who is a four to four and a half million population. Yes. Uh, with very few natural resources. Probably our biggest natural resources are people. If we're being honest, our innovativeness um and our. Uh, I always wonder about the 11.5% of North Americans that call themselves Irish. I mean, I, I say, is that biologically possible? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, uh, you know, when you're a small population um, and you can only affect things a certain way, an alignment, it's not always rosy, is it? No, Same way no. as we have a sport in Ireland called GAA, it's football. And, and, and any given Sunday, the Kerry fellas don't agree with the dubs <laughs> and the dubs don't agree with the guys from Galway. But in general, I think there's this general agreement that we are better um, complying or being part of or influencing a bigger pot um, on most things. Yeah. And um, and we're talking about um, Ireland and other countries. Now Brexit is coming into effect mm. and obviously it's going to impact a lot of countries, especially mm. in the EU. Mm. So according to your latest uh, Hosting Ireland quarterly report, if I'm quoting you, inward investment from the data center industry since 2009 is now expected to top 10 billion by 2022, hmm. with annual investment holding firm at 1.3 billion. So, yeah. in your opinion, has Brexit changed a lot for the data hosting industry? I mean, a lot of the world's biggest brands already host their content in Ireland. So, why Ireland is such an extractive location? There must be some sort of correlation. Brexit will have an impact of Ireland. Yeah. But big business and business in general doesn't like uncertainty. 
in any way or, or in our own lives you know you might be getting married on Saturday if the priest turns up it's not great <laughs> so uncertainty is something that always gets people to be hesitant and and uh, it hasn't certainty hindered Ireland um, as to how much it's affected I mean, I mean there's a lot pick up the paper this morning we still don't know what type of border we're going to have both digital True. and physical yes um, so there are certain industries but in terms of um, Ireland's commitment and I think this is more let's concentrate what what's within our control and let's be mindful participate and put our it's like anything in business you know let's concentrate what we can control and then and Ireland I think is as I said earlier I think we have demonstrated and I think in general the without question the population is pro-Europe so once we're pro-Europe that is who we're exporting to and I think that's I, I mentioned earlier about the floppy disk yes it's hard sometimes for people to understand Ireland, four and a half to five million people, the largest software export in the world, the second largest fund management company in the world, the third largest drug uh, distribution company or whatever. You know, there's only four and a half million. It's all for export. So in terms of the data that's residing in our centres, it's actually not for home consumption. It's for the 550 million. So, you know, then you have to basically, okay, well, we can control that. Well, how can we control it? Let's build more networks around the UK. Because whilst we live in a very virtual world where everything, Wi-Fi and 4G and 5G, mm -hmm. behind all that is bricks and mortar. Of course. Um, the cloud really isn't something that lives up in the sky. It physically lives somewhere. So I think we're still in these uncertain times. We've a really strong, and this is key, uh, and I think English speaking primary was explained to me recently better than ever by a US guy. He said, you know, the reason that we're doing so much with you guys is that everybody speaks English until there's a problem. <laughs> so and, then then it's Irish. And, and then I said, I said, how do you mean? He said, look, I go to holiday and I go to Puerto Rico and everybody and I go to Cuba and I go to everybody speaks great English until there's a problem. And then nobody speaks English. <laughs> so 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 he said, that's one of the advantages of knowing that that's you can't hide mm -hmm. um but brexit is 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 bad news for everybody i, I think even the british now uh, in general um the, 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 it's, they've wasted two years three years of of so much discussion about it um and uh yeah i've i've, I've in-laws there and and it divided families and stuff you know yeah um, it is uh... so i think ireland is fairly well straight and committed towards um, Pro-Europe, I don't think we're going to have an ears ears it anytime soon. It is a, it's, uh, it's quite a... Uh, Where are you from? I'm French. You're French? Yes. So you're quite pro-Europe. Yes, I would say France is quite pro-Europe, yes. But yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's a debate, it's a constant debate since the, uh, since the results of the, um, of the poll, of course. So, um, so yes, I think, yeah, France would be, tend to be uh, pro. Yeah. But obviously it depends on uh, the political um, uh, party that, you, you know, uh, the political preferences of everyone. And I think, I think, you know, our generation were meant to be the generation that we're going to open up more opportunities for the next gang. And we've just complicated it, haven't we? Because I think one of the things that I learned when I talked to my 10-year-old and 16-year-old is that they want to collaborate more. They want to work wherever they feel they'll be happiest and they'll get the best return. And it's not always about money, as you know. So now we've suddenly put these walls, or is that a Trumpism? We've we've put these walls in different places. Um, 
so it's it's counter to what maybe they're trying to achieve i see cars outside here that i can hire by the hour and scooters i can hire i don't want to own anything i want to be flexible and that's sort of maybe it's the old guard we're holding back a bit more i'm not sure but uh, it maybe. just brings more uncertainty into things absolutely and yes. we've just wasted five minutes of a great conversation that's something <laughs> we've no control over <laughs> this is the way it goes um now i'd like to talk a little bit about uh, so we're talking about the impact of brexit and obviously, um, the data um, uh, hosting landscape is changing a lot uh, because of Brexit, because of uh, different things. Now, what about other factors such as re renewable energy, for instance? How would the was this impact the, yeah. the data industry? And I think that's that that's the key question now um, is how sustainable. Not so much. We know we're going to create. Give some context to this discussion um, about the amount of data, mm -hmm. right? We have currently estimated in the region of probably about 25 billion things connected to what we commonly call the Internet. Um, and that by 2025, that will be in the region of 250 to 280 billion. And by the end of next decade, it'll be one trillion. OK, if it was a grain of rice, if a piece of data or a bite of data or the smaller one of the smallest nomination was a grain of rice, uh, there will be over 250 Pacific Oceans of data created every year from 2022 onwards. And it has to go somewhere. So when we discuss then, well, where is it going to go? Well, it's actually going to go where the most appropriate place is to have it. And as we see now, and, and again, it's probably easier to, to relate it to stuff people understand more. If we were in a solicitor's office here this morning, um, we would have a requirement by the solicitors to hold certain amount of paperwork mm -hmm. for so many years. So let's say it was a legal contract for a house. You have to statutorily hold on to that for seven years. But I'm paying 80 to 90 euros per square foot in this very elaborate office. After a while, when you don't need that data, you put it somewhere else, like into a storage mm -hmm. out on the yeah. on the the ring road in Paris. You don't hold it down, and that's the so we're now entering a stage where we understand not all data is the same. Some data it needs to be very close to the autonomous car. I can't go halfway around the world to come back, and um, so we're now getting these concentric circles of when I really need it. It sits there, like the paperwork of the current file that I'm working in the legal firm. Mm -hmm. But the one that we worked on three years ago, or the fourth page on Facebook from five years ago. Oh, we put that somewhere else. So the key thing is that there's so much data. There are so much different types of data. And that is the analogy I use is the rice, the Pacific, but it's not all one boiled rice. It's special fried rice and it's... It's basmati rice and it's all that squashed together. And your job uh, uh, and what you guys do and what we do is A, to keep it secure mm -hmm. and make sense of it. So I think one of the terms that I'm hearing now and maybe in you guys, because uh, you are always great for giving me little terms, is we're in a world of little data, not big data. Because the big data is the problem. The little data is the magic. <laughs> so all that we're looking and all the tools is keep keep the big data secure, mm -hmm. all of it, because we yeah. might need it. But really what we should be focusing on is the little data, which is the, the bit that actually drives the business. In terms of the challenges of Ireland versus anywhere else, um, you know, the brands are pretty much the same. The, you know, globally now, whether we like it or not, it's Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Alibaba, Baudu and Tencent. 
They are the five to ten computers that will be the five to ten computers that we will all use in the future. Um, and, and I only saw yesterday uh, Netflix, for instance. Netflix is 100% Amazon. They outsource everything to Amazon. So they're getting bigger. Dropbox is all, you know. So so in terms of the, the, the physical security, the uh, virtual security, the infrastructure security, these guys are just building the same standards all over yes. the world. And... Uh, um, we, I think in Ireland, because we have it in our pedigree or our, our DNA, um, whether it was a floppy disk in the 80s or whether it's the cloud now, um, and there's some really great stuff coming down the pipe uh, with renewable energy. And that's the key thing is that I think we owe it to, to data centers get a lot of criticism um, because of the f- pure consumption of energy. There's no doubt data centers are run by electricity. Um, and now the industry has gone uh, to a renewable first again getting back to it's brand new bills so they can do that but the second thing is as I said earlier anywhere you've got smart in front you've a data center in the back so when you consider that smart thermostats smart efficient grids smart cars smart this that and the other is one of the byproducts to reduce its carbon footprint yes. well guess what it's being run by data that's in the center so ultimately, what is it? It's the it's center. Kind of balances, yeah. Well, the, well that's the, 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 the objective is, is that data is good. The centers need to, um, again, retrospectively, it's hard, but any of the new stuff, which is the real tsunami as we've gone through the numbers, mm-hmm. are nearly all green, renewable first. And I'd like to think, and you would like to think, that it's because of the companies, but it's actually uh, in sentiment from inside the companies. People want to be working for more socially responsible companies, but Unfortunately, like all these things, it's the investors. It's the investors. Investors now, there's so much money wants to just invest in corporate social because that's the thing to be investing in at the moment. And if that's the catalyst that makes these guys all use renewable only, then it's good for Ireland because they are the consumer of a considerable amount of energy, which drives the demand, which then drives into the, the supply. And one of the things that's in our national plan now is if we are to deliver the green renewable energy for data centres first, then we need to really get our act together um, and uh, increase the amount of energy on our grid, um, which is a very positive thing. It is. Because money makes the world go round. And when you've got investors that won't invest in companies that aren't socially responsible, this is it, it gets, we, I think is, we it, gets it becomes an issue I think of course so. yes I think so. so we're talking about um, a lot of global companies mm. and you are a regular speaker at a conference throughout mm. the globe mm. uh, you've won a Fing global forum community awards in 2017 and you spoke at the Fing global forum technology in March of 2018 um, I'm quoting you when you said that where data rests is where opportunities will be created right mm. now um, there's a lot of big investments as you mentioned in the data industry and uh, in Ireland seems to become one of the words biggest data center, if not the biggest, and attract a new generation of uh, international professionals. Mm. A lot of startups are starting to settle down here. Mm. Um, and we're talking about remote working. We see there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who take the decision to, to move out of big cities because of the costs mm. and also a new generation of millennials and Gen Z uh, joining uh, the workforce. So what, what's your view on the way, how we'll be working in the, in the near future? I mentioned in, earlier in the interview about my 10-year-old and my 16-year-old and I just see by them that that stuff that's there when you're born is not technology. 
So I even see between my 16 and my 10 year old that Minecraft, for instance, came on the market somewhere in between the two of them. My 16 year old had to learn how to use it. My 10 year old just sees it as, OK, let's build that. Let's do this. So their norms now are mobile, flexible. Um, the system doesn't work always that quickly. You know, um, and big companies particularly, I think startups have a great advantage because they've no legacy. They've no, they they can create a culture. They can bring people who maybe are younger or they've been driven and it becomes from day one. Bigger companies are hard to shift. Mm -hmm. um, you know, probably the best example at the moment um, of a big company that seems to shift its psychology is Microsoft. Yes. Um, it seems anyway. Um, I hope I haven't uh, said they're your biggest competitor. And, uh, but, but, but again, it takes a while to shift, um, particularly in traditional business, finance. You know, they seem to be more, it nearly needs a flushing out of the people who are writing the checks and making the big decisions. And I'd say subdivisions, because technology won't be the inhibitor. You know, over the next five years, if that you uh, will have 5G and you'll have connectivity and you'll have all this stuff you'll have devices that uh, uh, will allow you to do physically all these things but psychologically sometimes um, in my experience anyway change is something that isn't restricted by technology it's usually by the guy or the girl who is making the decision to allow it to happen um, but when it works through the system it's a bit like cloud systems 10 years ago no not secure enough not in enough regions really it took a while for people to say okay you won't give me the money to upload lift my new systems but if okay i have a smaller budget therefore i'll go for a bit of cloud yes. a bit of on-premise and eventually people then it's a great decision came You're around, a genius. Idea, came yes. around but there's no doubt that that um you know, I'm, I'm sure Simon and some of the other guys have been around when, when we heard first the uh, bring your own device, all this type of stuff. You know, oh, no, security and all the rest of it. But then you realize that there's no point to be in an organization that has terminals when they've just learned in college to use tablets all the yes, time. Yes, that's why. So it made sense. Well, just give them an interface and then we don't have. So it takes a while because we're all sort of semi sheep. <laughs> and everybody is constantly, and I'm learning this more now than I ever did in my whole career, that people have internal reputations and risks. And startups are, I won't say it's easy, but it's easier than with big companies. I don't think that technology will be the inhibitors. Um, I think security is always going to be a challenge. Of course, yeah. Security, um, um, data by design, or sorry, privacy by design, security by design is a real challenge. Um and that's, I guess, what some of the stuff we spoke about earlier is that that when you when you when you do it from the start, it's yes. easier. Yeah. Retrospectively, we spoke about COBOL earlier. You know, there are things being propped up in the world still by COBOL. Uh, I don't even know if there's many COBOL programmers still <laughs> operating. Oh, don't leave, don't touch that in the corner. Leave that. It seems to be doing something, but we don't want to turn it off. So, uh, um, but there's always transition, isn't there? Of course, um, yeah, yeah. And once People we are listen, afraid of the unknown. Yeah, but I think we we got to keep listening, um, not just hearing stuff, um, actually listening. Um, that's one of the things I learn uh, more and more is that when I was a young kid, I absolutely know that the managers weren't listening. They were the odd guy you met. Mm -hmm. But now I think people are getting better at actually hearing, not just listening. Yeah. Um, and because they're hearing it all over, 
you know, I mean, case in point is that young girl in uh, Norway. I mean, yes. She's just started an incredible tsunami of awareness that no amount of politicians and no amount of leaders. Greta, and, yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's the power of social media. It's the power of younger generation, of younger generation yep. getting behind something. Um, so, so I think ultimately it's it's and uh, saying that we still have strange administrations in North America and in the UK uh, in terms of the government, but it, it takes a while to change sentiment. But I think it's in the right trajectory. Um, I do. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to um, um, well ask you one last question, really. Um, is there any other project, secret project, maybe that you'd like to share with our audience? A secret project. Anything that you'd like to share with our audience before we finish the interview? Um, We're always keen to um, to get to know. <laughs> <laughs> We're constantly. Well, well actually, it, it, it's timely because um, we have a real problem with bees. There's a real problem with these little bee fellas, right? Um, and I've been doing a lot of research recently about the effects of um, biodiversity. And uh, it's amazing. These little bees uh, are responsible for, if we lost all the bees in the world, we'd lose all of our habitats in 100 years. That's and uh, Ireland has, uh, and I think it's the same one around, 30% of all the bees will be, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Will be extinct if we continue to decimate their Behave natural habitats, right? And they then pollinate all the food and they pollinate this, that and the other. So that's the only interesting project I'm working at the moment. It's called DCs for Bees. And effectively, we're going to try and, because uh, there's an awful lot of land around data centers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just by their nature. So we're going to see, can we actually get an awful lot more beehives and stuff um, around those areas? But the other thing that I really am, am fascinated about is DNA uh, and not from the point of cloning people. Um, we can't, um, the data in the world is just, you know, another example I use often is the first iPhone is 11 years old. Yes. And it was the maximum, the top end was a four gig. Now we go forward one decade and I think they have a five, one, twelve and a terabyte. Right. So that gives you a sense. Incredible. It's not controllable, even if we do renewable energy yet, and even if we do. So what we're starting to see now, which is frightening and exciting in the same uh, sentence, is that the there are trials, successful trials where they're actually putting data, static data on DNA. And it uses about one one tenth of one percent of the energy needed per megabyte. And if we can get to the stage, particularly for for archive data, Mm -hmm. of which we will have so much, that uh, I think that that's blended with the solution of just more efficient traditional storage. Um, For my industry, I think over the next 10 years, DNA storage is just going to be... It's going to become huge, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's starting to see, I think that's what somebody defined as the fourth industrial revolution is Mm -hmm. where the tools will be there for any industry um, for any person, whether you have a degree or not. That's the other thing I was going to say to you. It's really interesting to see now Google and some of the big companies are dropping degree as a, a, a entry requirement. If you've talent, come and talk to us. How brilliant is that? It is fascinating, yeah. That, to Change me, that, that's a huge It's change. huge, yeah. you know. So, so now what you've got is that you, you may not have been lucky enough to have an education. But if you're talented, if you're talented sure. and you have access, that's fundamentally great. 
Um, and that's one of the things I love about uh, um, this type of interview or, or walking around Dublin City is um, it's such diverse people on scooters, people on mopeds, uh, some of them even not breaking the law, which is great. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a changeable space, isn't it, in Dublin? How long are you in Dublin? Four years. Four years. So yes. you've seen a massive change. I've seen change. a change already, yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, it's amazing. Changes, everything changes at such a fast pace nowadays, uh, every year. Um, and yeah, I, I do see quite a change since I arrived. Uh, it feels weird. It, it's only four years, really. But yeah. uh, but I think there's also uh, challenges of success. Yes. There's challenges of success um, around accommodation and people yes. wanting to stay in the centre of the city. Um, but... Do you know what? I, I had this discussion recently. I've had challenges, and most people who've been around a while have had challenges both sides, both of success and failure. Mm -hmm. And I just think that the challenges of success um, are better, much better crack to solve than challenges of failure. <laughs> so I prefer to be looking at Dublin where we have to build more yes. and we have to get more accommodation, we have to sort this, then what are we going to do with all of these young people who are emigrating and may not come back? Because that's heartbreaking on a physical, uh, societal level. Um, and now what we're trying to do is actually correct the challenges of success. The yeah, I think I think that's a, a better way to place and better place to be. So I think DNA, I think that's fascinating. Um, but scary. It is a bit scary, yes. Yeah. Who knows? Well, Gary, um, thank you so much. It's You're been an absolute welcome. pleasure, as yeah. usual, to see thank you. you. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. Um, thank you for spending time with us and uh, sharing all the great work that you do and uh, yeah. and your other projects on the side. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, it is the end of today's show, unfortunately, with Gary Conley from Hosting Ireland. Uh, please make sure to tune in again for more Vista Talks. Uh, and obviously we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you.